Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to... What? That old queen. A candid and adult take on queer life quandaries at a certain age. So please listen at your own discretion. Presented by Bernie and Tommy, their views are their own and in no way reflect those of any service you may hear this program on. Now, let your ears be upstanding for the <coughs> old queen. Tommy. Right? <laughs> yeah, how you doing? I used to like it when we didn't have a... Do the hellos. <laughs> yeah, you did, didn't you? We used to go straight into just, like, saying something like people walk into a room and we're already at it. Yeah, I know. I don't, uh, that I, why have we come back to this? It kind of went out the window. when I think it was when we were on Zoom. Oh, OK. Because... We had to say You though. couldn't hear the music. <laughs> <laughs> and so it was your cue <laughs> to say, you can talk now. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we'll, in future, we'll start in mid-flow. Okay. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm, um, well, I'm feeling a little bit achy, a bit under the weather, but I haven't actually got really a cold as such. I just feel headachey and a bit achy. But I think that, I'm pleased you're here, and I think that we're going to have fun tonight. Yeah, we should do. I hope so. It will lift your spirits and heal you doing this podcast, I feel. Well, let's hope so. <laughs> uh, how's your week been? Well, yesterday I went to Stratford-upon-Avon to visit Shakespeare's Birthplace Trust um, to do some work in their archives. Mm. I had to leave Bristol about five o'clock, and it was very wet yesterday. Mm. So I went in my full wet-weather gear, including wet weather trousers and I left them in the archive (laughs) (laughs) along with my house keys (laughs) for someone to find in the future (laughs) well I like to think that maybe they might be part of the archive Uh, yeah yeah (laughs) how did you get back in (laughs) well luckily um Alec has a spare set my neighbour. Mm. So, uh, yeah, it, it, it all worked out all right. Okay. And I met him in a pub. So I managed to get a couple of drinks in as well. Oh, nice. And wasn't your train, didn't your train break down? It you... broke down on the way there, yeah, so I was an hour late. 
Oh gosh, yeah. an hour late for the archive. Mm. But so, it, it, he said that was very good because he managed to get all the resources that I need on the table. This, they were all displayed when I got there, <laughs> including this massive picture of Laurence Olivier. Oh, naked? No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Is that going to be the title of your autobiography, An Hour Late for the Archive? <laughs> <laughs> And we went to see Dickie Bo's show. Yes, for the press night on, was it Tuesday night? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I loved that you um, posted on Twitter, I think, a very articulate response to it. I tried to do the same on Instagram and tagged, because the show was at the Ustinov studio, I think I tagged a furniture store in Russia. <laughs> 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 the Houston Hall Furniture Store. <laughs> Great. And I noticed that they looked at the post. <laughs> Did they like it? Uh, no. Oh, okay. I think they probably were just confused. <laughs> yeah, and they haven't shared it or anything. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, but it was a beautiful show. Oh my god, it was so yeah. good. And if you get, if you can get to see it, go to see it, please. Because it's on now for at least another couple of weeks. Yeah, it's on it? until the 10th of December. Mm. So please go and see it because it is I phenomenal. I think I'm going to go, go back because it's so layered. Yeah. You know, you don't... Yeah, you. I felt like I was missing things that I could go back and revisit. Yeah, totally. Kind of like a bit of a, bit of a history of theatre mm. told through the people that make it. And it's still, and it's quite queer as well. Mm. Although the audience that we were in wasn't particularly queer. I mean, there was a few queers amongst them. There but, was, but there was a lot of others. Yeah, <laughs> there was a marvelous old lady next to me who was making wonderful sounds every time Dickie did something odd on stage. <laughs> in a sort of positive way. In a positive way, yeah. Mm. Oh, 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 yes. Mm. <laughs> like she was having a little orgasm. Well, she probably was. She wore, well, Dickie yeah. spends most of the show with not very much on, and he's very fit, isn't he? Yeah, gorgeous pants. Mm. Very clean and together. Quite big pants. Felt like they were 1950s kind of pants. Yeah, but they suited the show. Yeah. It's not the Chippendales, it's more high brow, isn't it? Yeah, a bit more high brow. Yeah. <laughs> Did it make you feel like Christmas? No. No. <laughs> Was I supposed to say yes? Are you feeling a little bit in a Christmassy mood? Not yet, no. 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 Um, that, I'm sorry if that ruins your next feature. It doesn't ruin my next feature because... Are you feeling Christmassy? I'm, well, I've started to feel... But this always happens to me. I suddenly feel a little bit Christmassy at the end of November. And then by the time Christmas comes around, I've had enough of it. So <laughs> I think you can peak too soon with Christmas. But I, this is a, an amalgamation of a couple of articles. Mm. But, uh, one of them mainly from the shortlist, which is a website. And it's an article about things all straight people should know about being LGBTQIA plus at Christmas. Mm. Because I don't think they do. Because no. it can be quite a difficult time for a for queer mm. people at Christmas, mm. which we'll go into. But it's kind of, Christmas has been hijacked anyway from ancient midwinter festivals, which were a bit queer. Yeah. 
I think we've gone into this a couple of times. Yeah, in the article it says, if you're a fan of ancient history, you'll know that Christmas itself has a very queer backstory. The ancient Roman holiday, Saturnalia, the forerunner of our Christmas, was a time for feasting, cross-dressing and orgies. And we've Mm. definitely spoken about that before. Mm. Well, all of those topics and Saturnalia. (laughs) And partaken in. Um, on occasion. Uninvited. <laughs> um, so it says, as we celebrate the most wonderful time of the year, here are all the things you might not realise about being queer at Christmas. So number one, there's a reason why, why partying is an important part of queer culture, especially at Christmas. And why do you think that is? Because it might be quite miserable on Christmas Day, so you want to get the fun in in the lead-up. Yeah, definitely. But there's kind of an intrinsic reason as well. So when you grow up queer, so much of your formative years are spent hiding your real identity and suppressing your real feelings. The closet keeps you from being yourself, and you can sometimes miss out on things people your own age are going through, like teen romances and going out clubbing. So... When you do finally come out as a queer person, and what a wonderful feeling it is to come out, it can be like you're trying to make up for lost time. I I still think I'm trying to make up for lost time in my tender age. Yeah. Yeah. And this is especially true of big celebrations like Christmas, New Year's Eve and Halloween. It's a chance to dress up, go out and go dancing and be undeniably ourselves. It just reminds me of Twiggy in the Marks and Spencers advert. (laughs) Which I think... I think that John Lewis and the Mark Spencer's advert are very queer. <laughs> John Lewis adverts always make me cry. Yeah. <laughs> but there's also, there's also that saying as camp as Christmas as well, isn't it? Yeah. Which is kind of, it's a bit weird because, you know, like I say, Christmas isn't traditionally for queer people, but we're making it so. So number two, many people have a difficult time at Christmas, uh, many queer people. It's no secret that the holidays are a difficult time for queer people. Disproportionately estranged from family means we often must create our own family. Whilst these chosen families can be tremendously life-giving, it's tough not to long for our families of origin during Christmas time. Many still in relationship with family are forced to retreat into the closet for fear of safety or exclusion this season. And some queer folk who have affirming families of origin still experience the twang of heteronormativity in holiday commercials, family events and church services throughout December. There's a reason why many refer to this as Blue Christmas, because the holidays can leave us feeling pretty blue and our identities are invalidated, excluded, questioned and marginalised. I definitely get that. I spend a lot of it, you know, if I'm with my family, just biting my tongue or trying to pacify Mm. something and you know the longer amount of time that you do that the more you actually suppress who you are and you just become adrift of who you feel like and so that can lead to feeling yeah what's it all worth it yeah exactly and yeah it just sometimes feels like you're not you're maybe not having as nice a time particularly on the christmas day Mm. i think as like hetero families and stuff do but well, that's you why you'll be coming around to my house on box on christmas eve and drinking a bottle of sherry of course i will mm-hmm. <laughs> see this is how we need to make christmas our own <laughs> it's a tradition yeah well we started it now 
Number three, going to church is a strange experience. While going to church might be a ho-hum sort of activity for many, for LGBT plus people, heading to a carol service can be an unnerving experience. Who knows if the vicar's going to launch into a diatribe about the importance of traditional marriage. I remember going to a nativity service for my little cousin. This is the person who's written the article, not me. When I was younger and briefly wondering whether God would smite me down for my gayness. Oh, it's possible. Yeah, it's a bit awkward, isn't it? Mm. Well, I, I don't think he should do that. What, God? Yeah. <laughs> well, he, he, he made us gay in the first place, right? <laughs> if he exists. Mm. So, or she, or them, or what? <laughs> uh, number four, Christmas is mostly for straight people. Well, there's a lot of it that feels like that, yeah. Yeah. There's definitely a lot of it being gendered around, like, presents for her, presents for him. Oh, Yeah. I always want the hers. Mm. I sometimes wanted the hers. Mm. Maybe a little bit of him. (laughs) (laughs) I know which bit. Yeah. (laughs) So straight people might not realise this, but lots of Christmas culture excludes queer people. If you're queer, you won't find many Christmas cards that feature two men, two women, or a transgender couple kissing under the mistletoe. And by the way, this is also true for birthdays, anniversaries, Easter, you name it. I think that's. I think it's getting better, but on the whole, mm. you're not going to find it at your Tesco's, are you? I very. I don't get that many Christmas cards really these days. Well, there's an also an environmental thing about sending Christmas cards as well, isn't there? Well, we'll have to ask our guests that. Oh yes, we will. And the same goes for Christmas movies and TV shows. Pretty much everything about Christmas is mainly heteronormative. <sighs> I mean, they need to do better, don't they? Really? Mm. Like, well, maybe we need to do better. It's a queer Christmas a, up. I worked in a grotto for many years as Martin the Elf, <laughs> and Martin was Martin was definitely queer, mm. and he was very. He became very successful. Yeah. I know I've read some of the reviews for another show. (laughs) (laughs) I was Cupid, um, the queer reindeer and the reindeer monologues one Christmas. What was your outfit like? Very glitzy, those sparkly reindeer antlers. And yeah, I'd showered myself in glitter practically every night and had full like eye makeup and everything. It was quite fabulous, really. I'd like to see the pictures. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if there are any. It, it was quite a while ago. It was before the photo- photography was invented. <laughs> <laughs> and number six, and the final one is sometimes you have to make your own family. Many queer people still face rejection from their families. So for them, going home at Christmas isn't really an option. Because of this, there's a tradition of forming much stronger friendship bonds with a queer community. In fact, you're making your own family. Gay culture is learning how to make family out of friends, which I think sometimes is a stronger bond Mm. and an easier bond. Because I think it's quite difficult. As much as your family loves you, they don't really understand what it's like for you to be you when you're queer. I think they don't understand anything about me, mine. <laughs> the case in point. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure mine mine did. I mean, I think they tried, but yeah, and do try. But um, yeah, I think it's quite difficult for them to realise what we're, what we're about. Um, 
So, yeah, having your own queer family, especially at Christmas, is rather fabulous. Of course, if you're listening, Mummy. <laughs> She's a regular listener to this show, isn't she? <laughs> she should be because she has a group of friends who they all work together with in the uh, tobacco to the tobacco factory, which used to be like um, Imperial, so selling mm. like the cigarettes, and they've known all, all these women have known each other since. You know, they, they're now in their late 70s, early 80s, and they knew each other from 18, and they all call each other the queens. Well, there you go. Yeah, and then there's a newcomer that they met when they were in, in their 30s, and she's the Duchess. <laughs> <laughs> I think, yeah, I like the term Duchess. Well, you could be one. Oh, yeah, I'm happy to be the Duchess. I used to love that programme when I was a kid, the Duchess of Duke Street. Oh, I don't know what that was. Do you remember that? It was a bit like upstairs, downstairs, but I think it was set in a hotel. But it was a poor, a poor woman made good. I was just before, I was at an online conference just before you arrived. Mm. And they were talking about um, gay references within TV and culture. And the guy um, that was talking about it, I don't think English was his first language. And so he... He talked about um, the victim and said it was with Dick Bogart. Um, uh, and then he also talked about um, the TV show, You Are Being Served. <laughs> and it just sort of had more of a, more of a queer... <laughs> Instantly, yeah. more of a queer leaning. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, why didn't they think of calling it You Are Being Served? Yeah. <laughs> that could be the sequel. Yeah. We could do it. Yeah. <laughs> right, okay. Well, we're going to have a little break with some real ads, uh, which you can listen to, which will give us threepence apening. Or you can give us some money via our Acast Plus account and listen ad-free, or Ko-fi, or Patreon, or PayPal, or buy some merch just in time for Christmas. All your queer family would love mm. a What That Old Queen bit of merch, I think. Would go down very well. I think so. Um, but afterwards, we've got a fantastic guest. We've got Caleb Parking, self-described day-glow, queero, techno, eco-poet. Which is why I said maybe Caleb might have thoughts on Christmas cards. Um, yeah, right. Because he's developed his own um, personal declaration to climate change. Yeah, but we can talk. We can talk. We can we can see if Christmas cards are acceptable. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I've got a whole checklist. Yeah. Maybe, maybe you can reuse your Christmas cards. Maybe mm. that's acceptable. Um, I don't know. But uh, anyway, we'll have a little break. Is that all right with you, Tommy? I think so. Okay. We'll have a little break and we'll be back after this. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical. Medical plans underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Oh, so we're back and we have a fabulous guest, don't we, Tommy? Very fabulous. We have Caleb Parkin, self-described day-glow, queero, techno, eco-poet, Formerly the city poet of Bristol. In fact, he was the third city poet of Bristol. So if you're looking for a third, Caleb's your guy. Hello, Caleb. Hello. <laughs> what do you mean by that? Like a threesome? A yeah. three-way? Yeah. Sorry. In a poetry yeah. way. I mean, I, I'm, obviously I'm making a huge assumption about that, but <laughs> it, it was just a joke. Mm. <laughs> it was a play on the third bit. I'm trying to think of like poetry throuples now. Yeah. I'm sure there were some. The Bloomsbury set, I'm sure there were oh, some there. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, that was a poetry orgy. Quadruples. Yeah. All sorts. Yeah, definitely. And which we've, have we done, we've done quite a bit on those, haven't we? Yeah. The Bloomsbury set and the, this season. It's almost like an ongoing theme throughout this season. Anyway, Caleb, tell us about you. Sure. I'm realising as well, you were so swift to bring in the jingle that I didn't have a preparatory cough. So I'm just going to do it now. <laughs> okay. <coughs> <laughs> that's better sorry great. yeah great and then uh, am i telling you about me <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what do you want yeah. to know so how did you start getting into poetry i wrote since i was kind of in my early teens and then at that point the gcse curriculum was enlightened enough that you could produce a kind of portfolio of poems um which i did as part of my english coursework it's amazing i can't imagine them doing that now uh, and my english teacher was a poet and so he yeah, and I remember giving this kind of folder of poems and all he wrote was A-star superb. And I was like, well, I should probably carry on with this, which was <laughs> nice. Um, but, then, but then the thing is with poetry, it's, it's hard to kind of, hard to sustain as like a career, like with, with all up, you know, being an artist of any, any kind. So I kind of kept it going and was writing throughout my 20s. And then it was only when I got to about 30 that I started to kind of think, partly because I tried some other careers and it just didn't work for me. Uh, so I was in BBC doing TV and radio production stuff. And then I was teaching and education and writing throughout all of that. And then, and then I kind of was made redundant. Um, yeah, I guess when I was about 30, 31 and thought, right, I'm just going to focus on this. And I've been trying to kind of make headway and move, move up and across with it since then, really. And how was being the city poet for you? Really fun. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I was I was delighted to get it. it. It was the kind of second time of applying. And the first time I applied, I was like, not in the right place for it and um, hadn't got to um, where I needed to be, I think. And then the second time I felt really strongly that I was. And, um, and commissions, 
you know, are kind of different to writing your own stuff. There's a kind of, we had like a commission brief and and really thinking about what the poem as a kind of gift for the city will be like. And I really enjoyed that. I think it's really, I think some poets find that really difficult to kind of write on demand as it were. But um, yeah, it was good fun. I mean, some of the stuff you you write about, you, you, you know, I was I was city poet during the uh, platy jubes and um and you know i'm not a royalist even slightly so i had to find a way of doing that which felt um like it worked for me and would work for the commission i felt a little bit sorry for is it simon simon albertich the poet yes yeah, he's the poet laureate at the moment yeah. yeah i felt sorry for him having to write about the queen's death because i can't imagine that he's much of a royalist no, he did the sort of double acrostic, didn't he? The Elizabeth, Elizabeth. It's about Elizabeth out down the side. Yeah, I think he got away with it. It was, it was all right. I, read, I thought it was okay. And um, that's, I think that's the thing. If you're a public poet, you've got to sometimes write about things and find a way of doing so that feels okay for you and okay for the the people th- they think it's for. I guess. I think when I'm writing, <clears throat> I, I quite like a little bit of a structure or a theme, or I actually f- find those parameters quite good. Mm. Um, in terms of actually inspiring me to write. And I used to write a lot of poetry when I was younger, not particularly good poetry, I hasten to add. But, yeah, I was quite a bit. There's fan something of to it. be said for bad poetry, though. There, yeah. there is. Maybe I'll release a book of bad poetry at some point. <laughs> Bernie's bad poetry. <laughs> so what? when you're not restricted by being the city poet, as you're not the city poet anymore, what kind of... What kind of themes do you write about? I, mean, I guess I did I, with the city poet. I kind of see it more as um, like creative constraints than restrictions, and I, I did I did enjoy all of them. Um, even the, maybe especially the difficult ones, like things like the you know, Platinum Jubilee, or there was one I had to write about the Atlantic Charter. Do you know about the Atlantic Charter? It's this kind of big transatlantic naval agreement between the UK and the US. And I felt really ambivalent about it. Anyway, wrote something for that. But did that come from City Hall then? That brief. That one didn't. No, that was through a different route. Um, the um, is it the Lord Lieutenant or Lord Lieutenant? I'm never sure how you say it uh, of Bristol, who's the Queen's representative in the Southwest. Yes, I've met them. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And then actually, the event got cancelled because of COVID. So I wrote this piece and then never got performed because of COVID. <laughs> but I was quite pleased with it. But when, I, when I'm not doing those, I, I guess like the more than human world, as I would call it, is a big theme of mine. Kind of eco poetry and kind mm. of queering eco poetry um, is something that comes up a lot. Uh, the pamphlet I just published was kind of a lot about matriarchs. So my mum and my nan and my gran uh, and other matriarchs that were kind of around uh, my family. Is that um, the one that's called Wasted Rainbow? No, so Wasted Rainbow is my first pamphlet, um, which is kind of out of print now. Um, it's kind of a, I don't know what it is, like legacy, it's a ghost. Uh, so that's Wasted Rainbow. There's a lot in there around Section 28 and going to school during that uh, era of schooling. Oh, great. Um, and then the next one was this. Is that why it's a wasted rainbow? Yeah, yeah. So that's an image from the end of one of the poems. There's there's two poems in there called uh, "Why Are You Crying, Boy," uh, part one and part two. And the the second one, the last image is there's there's all this these kind of confectionery packaging in the poem, uh, and they arch away into a pale sky, a perfectly wasted rainbow. It's the last line, and it just felt like exactly the right image for the title. Yeah, mm, it's very curious. It makes you want to, yeah, dip in. Yeah, definitely. Have you ever thought? Um, I'm doing a writing class at the moment, and we've just done some examples of books which are written in prose. Have you ever thought of doing that? How do you like, like a write whole in prose? novel? Oh, like, oh like I see, a like whole a whole novel, a, po- a poetic novel, or yeah, 
Yeah, maybe. I think I think what I might look to doing. So I'm starting a PhD in January, which is around um, with this um, project called Renew at University of Exeter around biodiversity renewal. And I can see I can see my work going in a kind of creative nonfiction or like poetic nonfiction kind of route. And there may be some fiction that works with poetry, but I think poetry is a really good training ground to turn to like different forms. Yeah, because one of one of the reasons is the form is quite simple to read and it's a little bit like reading text on your phone so it's actually getting younger people into reading novels because they're in a verse form so you like shorter lines more space around yeah because it's it seems to be more accessible and maybe more episodic yeah yeah Yeah, i know dean atter who's a great poet and he's written a couple of verse novels for young people with kind of queer themes and they've done really well and then seems to work as a form really nicely so yeah i really like when poetry meets different forms like that different genres i don't know if i'll do that or not okay (laughs) i'm still trying stuff out of poetry well we'll watch this space Mm. um it sounds like it might make more money (laughs) which is good (laughs) because it's a tricky thing with poetry making more money yeah poetry is a bit like (laughs) podcasting (laughs) It's labour of love. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, do you, do you have a little poem for us? Yeah, I mean, I've got shit ton of poems. Um, are we allowed to swear on this? I forgot to ask that. Absolutely fucking not. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I mean, yeah. So, there's on the queer themes, like wasted rainbow. The cynical bit of me is like, no one can buy this anymore. So, I don't know if I'm going to read any of those. Okay. Uh, actually, there is one from there that's in here that I thought might be quite fun. Or I could read the pride poem I wrote, a city poet. Okay. Yeah, Caddy. Well, you do, do, do what, do <laughs> what you feel responds, is right, Caleb. Responds to uh, do what you feel is right. <laughs> I tell you what, I'll read you this one from the end of the coin. So the coin is um, late, the latest pamphlet from Broken Sleep Books, and I realised I had a lot of poems about my mum, who'd also had uh, treatments for cancer. So there's po- there's poems about that in here, uh, and my nan Betty and my granny Joy. And the last poem, there are two kind of bookending poems. The first one's called The Coin, which has a lovely Oscar Wilde quote, uh, which I think sets up the pamphlet. And the quote is, All women become like their mothers. That is their tragedy. No man does. That is his. And I guess, like, the pamphlet's wanting to push back against that or kind of lean into what Oscar Wilde is saying in a way. And so the last one is called The Pattern. And there's a bit of graffiti that my mum really loves, uh, anonymous graffiti from London, 1978, which is, my mother made me a homosexual and someone's written underneath it, if I gave her the wool, would she make me one too? (laughs) So so because my mum is a prodigious knitter, uh, I thought, and sewer, I thought I would kind of respond to that. The pattern. If she could, she'd knit you a boyfriend or a balaclava. She'd knit you a softer day, a longer year, a macrame life with a looser weave, a fingerless glove for new lover, a man or a mansion, if she could. But she'll knit anyway, from any old yarn and turn it into its opposite. Through endless TV murders, those needles banish death, their clickety-clacketing wishes summoning cosy multiverses. And even though the twine might get slightly too tight, the ends slightly frayed, she'll knit with her every last synapse. Rest is off the table until it's all made wearable, bearable, understood. If you've got the will and she's got the wool, then she would. And that's about your mum? Yeah. 
That's amazing. And what does she think about that poem? I think she's I think she's all right with it. I mean, they're really celebratory poems. I did want the pamphlet to be like a mon, you know, like a monument to her while she's here, like mm. rather than and with my granny and my nan, you know, they're not around anymore, so they won't see that. But also when it's someone, you know, like like a parent, you also want to be honest because you're making art and naturally if you're not being honest. Yeah, I think that poem is honest. Um it's very warm, but also like the end's slightly frayed and the twine gets a bit tight sometimes. <laughs> and some of the other poems in the book, um, you know, deal with some heavy stuff, but I think in a way that I hope is fair. And also I think as a poet, like you're not always coming off as the best, you know, as like a hero or something in them as well. So one time... As the writer. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. I think that's really important. David Sedaris, you know him, he, like mm. he kind of says that, you know, he sometimes, he wants to make sure that he comes off worse than the people he's criticising or taking mm. the piss out of. And once when I read a poem, which is in Wasted Rainbow about my granddad and kind of tricky relationship there. And, and I, I was like, and I was sort of had a moment when I thought, oh, you know, like that's your dad back to my mum, you know, it's like, it's kind of weird. And I said, what did you make of it? And she said, there was nothing there I didn't recognise, which I was like, okay, that's okay. <laughs> so I, I kind of hoped with this, I was like, I hope there's nothing there, you, you know, that you don't recognise that mm. it's trying to be fair and clear. Well, that's quite a sort of, you know, like, I mean, I just do a show and always wait for feedback. And if someone said to me, well, well there was nothing there that I didn't recognise, I'd be like, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of almost a bit like the lighting was very good. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, that's kind of what, but that's, that's kind of what your family does when you mm. present them with work. I remember showing um, my mum a film that I made and, uh, and she was like, who's that woman? She's really good. <laughs> and I was like, yes, she is. And that was it. <laughs> I know this performer, and she was reading out a, a review, like two reviews of her work. And one review said, like, this person is, um, it should be a national treasure. And then the other review said, you know, this person is just the worst performer that there ever is. And the mother said, well, I think both of them are a bit over the top. <laughs> But I think I've stolen something from you, Caleb, in the little, very short performance that I often get wheeled out and doing where I wear all these old ladies' dresses. And one of the lines is, um, you should never underestimate the power of a feminine child. And when you team that with an old battle axe, it makes for a fearless combination. And it feels a bit like what we're talking about now. Yeah, I think I what think is that the root came from of that line. Never underestimate the effeminate child came from Chloe poems, which is um, the, the persona of Jerry Potter. And is are they a Liverpudlian poet? Yeah. Yes. So I've seen them at the Vauxhall Tavern. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so he's brilliant, and Chloe poems mm. is a brilliant character. I think who's been retired now, um, but that line came from one of Chloe's shows. Mm. Yeah. Well, it's pass through yeah <laughs> it's been absorbed what is the fruiting body uh what is the fruiting so this fruiting body is the collection that was out last year in october so it's my first full full collection so you have kind of pamphlets which are shorter books and then collections which is a, a longer book of poems usually about 60 plus pages uh, and this fruiting body was um published with nine arches in october it had a really fun um boat book launch party down on the harbour it's got an it exquisite illustration on the front who did that uh jazz ward did that um she does erotic collage and i said would you do a more than human erotic collage with fungi and bioluminescence and things and she did a great job with it i really love it and a nice 
Is that like a lobster claw coming out of the yeah, back? Yeah, there's like a lobster claw and mm. some fungi. It's got a sort of little lettuce fascinator as well. Oh. Yeah, so we can um, put a link. And so I suppose a lot of that was around queering eco-poetry because eco-poetry can be quite straight in all regards. Mm. So I wanted to kind of have some fun with pushing back against that. And Have you presented your eco-poetry within a straight eco-context? Yeah, definitely. I feel like what's good with eco-poetry now is it is starting to become much more intersectional. Um, there's There's been a kind of homogenous idea of eco-poetry about this kind of reverence for the more than human world and, and a kind of sense of like like reproductive futurity, to use kind of fancy terms, but of like it's all about saving the world for our children, like which a lot of queer people don't. And, you know, that's not our motivation. Mm. There are a lot of motivations for wanting to save the world and the more than human world and they're not all just about that but a lot of um a lot of eco poetry i think still rests on that uh, and also in a kind of i think sometimes a bit of kind of dumb reverence about mm. more than human which also is some sometimes it's trying to kill us and poison us and sometimes it's gross it's already super queer like nature is incredibly queer mm. uh, and i think pointing that out more often is really helpful mm. this idea of like ecological mandates um you know, and as, as LGBT plus people, unnatural is something we hear quite a lot. Mm. Um, I think you do growing up, oh, it's unnatural. It's like, mate, do you want to see what's actually going on in nature? Look at those mushrooms. Right? <laughs> look at the look at the mushrooms, mm. what's going on with the orgies and the sex changes and the performances and the, you know, menage everyone and everything. And um, menage everything's a good title, isn't it? Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's already incredibly queer. And I think so, you know, I think pointing that out is, is important. I think, yeah, homosexuality is in two, over 2,000 species, I believe, they found it. Yeah, homosexual partnerships and pairing. So there's a book called uh, Biological Exuberance by a guy called Bruce Bagermill, um, which really kind of tried to kind of chart a lot of these queer behaviours, uh, especially homosexual partnerships and pairings. You've got bonobos or yes. uh, all sorts. It's all going on out there. Bonobos, which apparently the, are the closest uh, species of monkey to us. Oh, Bizarrely. yeah. It's like yeah. wank is a handshake, basically. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's their vibe. And... I mean, that, that's almost queer culture in a nutshell, <laughs> isn't it? <Yeah>. Um, <laughs> um, tell us about your writing for Wellbeing Project. Mm. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I feel like I haven't got that hat on this evening. Um, I think I have. I th- well, I d- you know, I do think like... Boys because and... it might come in useful with the Queens of Agony. It might It may well do in, in, uh, in a moment. But I, I always... I, I mean, I always feel better after... I don't do it often enough, but I feel like I always feel better after writing. Mm. And especially because you you tend to put a lot of your own experiences in that. So it's it, it almost feels like a form of therapy in itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. Um, so the MSc that I studied was uh, creative writing for therapeutic purposes. And it's worded like that quite particularly, actually. So it's not creative writing as therapy. It's for therapeutic purposes. So I think that that can be quite it's quite broad because actually it can be therapeutic for something just to be enjoyable and playful and silly. Um, so it's not always really deep diving into, and it actually shouldn't necessarily be deep diving into traumatic experiences. Yeah. So every, everything I do, including sessions that are intended for writing for craft and for developing your work, there's still an awareness of that kind of therapeutic aspect because I've seen so many sessions where I've gone to sessions or been on courses where people have been excluded through a style of hosting them that actually, ex- you know, it excludes people and it can make people go back inside themselves, not want to share anything in a group context, I think, which is not yeah. the only context. So I think it, it underpins a lot of what I do 
um, even when it's not explicitly therapeutic. Okay. Can we have one poem from this root in body? Yeah, yeah sure. Let's. I might do um, one called Shrinking Violets, which was also in Wasted Rainbow, because it's my, it's my queer changing room poem. Not changing rooms, the uh, 90s series. Um, That's what I thought you meant. Yeah. <laughs> Although someone did write a poem about changing rooms I read recently, and it was really good. Anyway. <coughs> Another cough, excuse me. Um, if you want to be a poet, you've got to get the cough right, I reckon. Right. That's yeah. what I've learned here. Yeah. We have to practice um, drinking water on stage, because when you're given a poetry reading, drinking water is like the most terrifying, silent moment that happens. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, so this was in, it was in um, Wasted Rainbow and I read this, I read this in a school recently actually, we were doing some sessions around gender and gendered language and poetry, which was yeah, interesting. And I had to give a couple of references. So there's this, this poem alludes to various things, including um, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and Violet Beauregard, the one who eats the purple sweet and then expands and becomes spherical in purple. It alludes to Big Trouble in Little China, you know that film? <laughs> yes, a terrible film, like full of racist stereotypes, which is kind of the point. Um, what else? Oh, the 50 foot woman and oh, Akira, the Japanese anime film as well. You'll see why uh, they're all kind of images of bodies expanding and kind of exceeding their limits, I guess. Shrinking Violet. One of the men struts through shower steam with a who's got some hair gel then? hums the theme tune from Rocky. One of the other men describes the bird from that party, how he'd like a bit of that. While all this is going on, I face the wall, gingerly dry my bits, try to avoid eye contact with these men or these other men. Then before I know it, I start to expand, like that scene in Big Trouble in Little China, except no, not that. Maybe like Violet Beauregard in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, and that's, that's sexist, classist, I don't know. I'm just trying to explain, find that image. But the point is, I began to expand, not in proportion, like the 50-foot woman, because I'm not, nor do I claim to be, or identify as a woman of any scale, but I just began to fill the space. No buttons to ping, because I'm already naked, except a 1980s wish-you-were-here beach towel. I start to become spherical, disproportionate, my head, abdomen, limbs distending outwards, but not in a fat-shaming way. And I'm calm about this. Let it happen. The other men don't notice. They're all bouncing, striking poses. Don't register the slow rising tide of my sauna-flushed skin, my hot air flesh balloon, which encroaches behind them. They don't even know, because now they're comparing careers, squaring up their voices. My body keeps beau-regarding, if I may, slow-mo exploding, like that scene from Akira, the Japanese anime film, except this isn't a comment on Japan, it's a comment on me, maybe, or at least these other men, I guess, or me in relation to them. But anyway, my Cumberland fingers start to touch the metal fixtures of the lockers. The sticky planet of my belly squidges on their backs. They turn, and their eyes begin to widen, pupils eclipsed by my unrelenting scale, my unyielding presence, my unruly second on second growth. Bernie, can you burst Caleb? <laughs> <laughs> He's Beauregarding. 
We've got like a loom in the corner. We can just kind of stretch him out. <laughs> is that what happens in um, I think that is, the chocolate yeah, factory? Yeah, that is what happens in the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I put a picture of Violet Beauregard on the slides I had and put a picture of the scene from Big Trouble in Little China and said, it's a really awful racist film. That's why I'm mentioning it. Um, <laughs> And I guess there's that thing of like this voice that's correcting itself and always trying to be like, oh, I'm trying to say the right thing. Mm. And we, I think we've all had that experience of them being in a space where there's some men being fucking awful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, with absolute impunity. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. We've all been there. Yeah. <laughs> that was amazing. So what's next? What's next? Um, starting the PhD is next uh, okay. in January. So, yeah, I'm... Uh, and I'm working on a second collection at the moment. So I'm kind of doing a lot of swapping poems with other poets. Uh, and the second collection is thinking quite a lot about toxicity in various ways. So probably apt, having read that poem, uh, which in, in its own way is dealing with <laughs> toxicity and toxic behaviour. So, yeah, so lots of toxicity poems at the moment. Okay. <laughs> and if people want to find out more about you and your work, where can they find that? Uh, I'm on www.calebparkin.com is my website. Uh, I'm on Twitter, which is just at Caleb Parkin. Uh, and on Instagram, I'm at Caleb Parkin Poet. Lovely. Um, we I'm have... not a Mastodon yet, by the way, for oh. all the people like migrating from I'm Twitter. I'm t- totally confused by Mastodon. I right. did try it. I've dipped mm. into it. I don't understand it. Mm. So... It's, uh, I just can't it's, be bothered. It's a mystery. <laughs> can't be bothered. I'm like doing Twitter, doing Instagram, doing Facebook, doing email. Yeah. Oh, um, we did have a question, mm. uh, an eco question for mm. you about Christmas because we did a little bit, because Christmas is coming up, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We did a little bit about how being queer is sometimes difficult at Christmas at the mm-hmm. top of the show. Um, and your personal declaration to climate change. Yeah. But Christmas cards. Yeah. Eco or not eco? I mean, you know, it depends. Are they if they're covered in non-biodegradable glitter and whatever else? I would generally say not massively, but that you could always recycle them. Also, right, little rant about this and okay. various other things. I get really pissed off with the kind of things when we're all being we're all being made to feel guilty for sending Christmas cards, like charity yeah. Christmas cards on 100% recycled paper. And meanwhile, your Bezoses and your whoever you know and like. Musk, who just bought Twitter on a whim and whoever else, are literally destroying the planet. Yeah, and we're all kind of being, you know, like. And I honestly think sometimes it's a distraction from taking down capitalism. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I, I think I think it needs to be top down rather than bottom up. Right. Well, yeah, indeed. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think I think it's, that's that's the case with lots of environmental conversations. You know, yeah. this thing I try and like take one flight a year and there's this thing as soon as you mention you're interested in the environment, you have to be squeaky clean and completely spotless. And I think that's absolute nonsense. Like we we can try, we can do our best. I still eat meat sometimes because I enjoy it. Yeah. I'm you know, I might be interested in environmentalism. I'm also interested in pleasure. Yes. I'm trying to balance the two. <laughs> yeah. And I also don't have children. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. I think that in this room <laughs> we're pretty eco. <laughs> do you know what I mean? So I just I, I find on the one hand, yes, it's good to think about individual consumer choices. On the other hand, I don't think that um, you know, hand wringing about all of them actually necessarily does anything and it annoys me that we're made to do so so often. Good. Here, here. Here, here. Right. <laughs> 
Well, on that note... I'm going to be that opinionated about all of the agony. Okay. Well, I I hope so. (laughs) So, um... Shall I refresh the glasses? Yeah, let's Mm. refresh the glasses. And we'll have a little gong bath. And we'll do some Queens of Agony. (laughs) Yeah, you've just short-circuited the mixing desk. (laughs) So are you ready for this, Caleb? I'm ready. Well, this actually, Tommy, this first one is quite a personal one about you. Oh, you didn't get my letter then. <laughs> what to say not to include this. <laughs> um, it's a restraining order. <laughs> so, dear old Queens and Caleb, because I don't think you're quite there yet. Last Soon. night... After listening to your podcast, I had a dream where I was Tommy and was going through a painful breakup with the Canadian drag queen Brooklyn Heights. It involved me, Tommy, going to a cinema that looked like the Barbican Theatre and watching some live ballet performances. Also, lovely, except I, Tommy, was trying to find Brooke in the ticket office and ended up missing the performance and making things much worse. Anyway, I was wondering if you have ever had any dreams where you were assuming someone else's personality or role. I've heard this is a terrifying kink known as spiral story. I'm not sure this is appropriate for the podcast as it's a bit scary. Spiral story, what does that mean? I don't, where but people assume somebody else's identity. Within a dream context. Well, I mean, in, within a, a story or, like a, a, or maybe like a role play, I think. I watched a um, Philip K. Dick's Electric Dreams episode where someone sort of ended up doing that and then they couldn't mm. get out of the other person's identity. But I don't know if we're talking about in dreams or in TV shows. Or... Well, uh, uh, let's, let's just stick to dreams yeah, for right. the time being, shall we? So, was, didn't say whether it was the Barbican in Plymouth or London. Mm, that's quite a significant detail. I, I'm assuming London. Well, you shouldn't assume. <laughs> that's the problem with this country. It's all London-centric. Mm. <laughs> I, but I, I think this person is more likely to be in London than Plymouth. Okay, I don't know. I mean, the Barbican, I don't think, has its funding now, isn't it? Maybe the Plymouth one has got it. Well, maybe it'll be Plymouth in the future. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> um, I have done a lot of gigs in the Barbican Plymouth. Okay, oh, so maybe it was the Barbican Plymouth. <laughs> but do they do they have ballet there? Not that I'm aware of. No. Okay, so I think it might be London. <laughs> but the dressing room is sort of brown tiles, very 1970s. Okay. So, I mean, A, what do you think about that dream? What's, can like, we, what's the question? You're tired. Well, uh, so the question pro- is... It's not necessarily a problem. It's just like, have you ever dreamt that you've been someone hey, else? Have you assumed someone else's personality or role in a dream? I don't know. I don't think so. But I'm, I'm going to pay more attention. I'm not... This will sound really weird, but that's dream conversations. I'm never like... I don't know if I'm always kind of thinking about or aware of like who I am in a dream. Stuff's no. just happening. Yeah. I've been multiple people in a dream. Ooh. So, and that happens quite often. Because I feel like when you're in a dream state, it's almost like you're in a different dimension. Mm. So you can cut, you're kind of, sometimes you're observing and sometimes you are that person and sometimes you're the other person. And and that's how you observe it. And it's almost like 
there's no although there is a linear story to it you're not observing it in that in a normal linear way so like a multi-narrator dreams yeah vibe well yeah i've yeah i've jumped into different people in dreams multiple times in many <laughs> dreams don't think i've ever jumped into you though tommy I can't recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> but I quite love the fact that by people are listening to the podcast and then dreaming about, you, well, you, they're obviously not dreaming about me, <laughs> or dreaming that they are you. Yeah, tell me what it's like. Uh, would you ever date Brooklyn Heights? I can't, I don't know which one that is. No, I don't It's know. the Canadian one. I didn't watch the Canadian one. They're very series. pretty. Well, as a man and, you know, as a drag queen. Should I Google a picture and you can decide? Because then we can decide on the veracity of the dream based on whether you would or wouldn't yes, date. Mm. I haven't, I don't think I've dreamt that I'm another person. I remember clearly a dream when I was on the telephone in a payphone to Jerry Halliwell. Oh, yeah. What was the other dream? Were you, were you telling her not to release that single? <laughs> because <laughs> wasn't that part of the video for her very first one where she was in a phone box oh yeah <laughs> look at me yeah <laughs> so i think it might have been inspired by that look at me <laughs> look at me um i had this very good dream once when um i was observing a news reporter that we were outside uh, number 10 Downing Street and they kept saying this thing about like the disgraced Tory MP they kept going on about it and then they said we are unable to discuss to say to mention his name right now however we are able to sing it <laughs> <laughs> and I can't remember who it was but they sung the disgraced Tory MP's his name. name was that in the dream or was it in real life it was in it was in the dream. It was in the but dream. But I did wake up laughing to myself. But I kind very of, long song these days, wouldn't it? It's, I, it's I take actually, ages. I quite like that idea <laughs> that you can't like it's libelous to mention to speak their name but not to sing it. Mm, that's brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's happening in a parallel universe somewhere. Uh, how are we doing on Brooklyn Heights? Yeah, good. I'm just, do you want to see Brooklyn Heights like out of drag and in drag? If that's possible. Yeah, but um, I don't know. I mean, this is a nice one with some cats. Oh yeah. Yeah, that's Brooklyn, Brooklyn Heights. And then in uh, Brooklyn Heights, like very glam. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, gorgeous. Not really nice. your kind of drag. No. <laughs> so yeah. what do we think about Brooklyn Heights? Is that I didn't that think that was part there? of the question, really. No, no I don't think right, it was. No. But um, would, would, you be, uh, would you be dating Brooklyn Heights after seeing the pictures, do you think? Or I, not? No, I think it's definitely a dream. It's definitely mm. a dream. <laughs> In the Plymouth Barbican. But what do we think about these spiral stories? Like as a kink. As a kink. Can I see it? can I see the can I see the thing? I want to see it like written down. Yeah. It also reminded me a little bit of Dickie Bow's show. Yes. Sort of embodying somebody else and, and you know, one of the who is that very famous actor? Ian McKellen. Sir Ian, Ian McKellen, McKellen going Oh, and I'm in your body. Oh, yeah. and what a beautiful body it is. But that's also quite a shamanistic kind of trip, but where you inhabit either um, another being or uh, an animal's body. Um, I'd love to have a tail. I, I also would like a, to have a tail. I think we, We're talking like prehensile, obviously. Yeah, it needs you to be... You can do stuff with the tail. You can do stuff yeah. with the tail and you can wag when you like people. 
So it's sort of a bit a bit monkey, a bit dog. Yeah. Yeah. Horse I quite like thinking. I quite like mine to be quite big. Oh, yours and, a horse tail. <laughs> I'd I'd like mine to be big and bushy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm thinking kind of lemur or something like that, like a, mm. one of those. It sounds like yours is more of a dog tail. Yeah, or mm. a squirrel. Oh. Oh yeah, they're pretty cool. They're expressive. But it would be massive. Like pfft. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm six foot two. So. <laughs> and they twitch them and stuff, don't they? they do all sorts of things. It would take up yeah, and if they fluff as they scamper mm. along. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if you if you were to become anyone else, who would you become, Caleb? Who would you jump into? In a spiral into? story. It's almost like oh. um quantum leaping, isn't it? Yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's how Ziggy. Is it Ziggy, the little computer on Quantum Leap? Z- Ziggy was the the. And he'd be like, "Come on, Ziggy," and be hitting the little calculator. Yeah, the thing. person back at the ranch, as it were. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah okay. And then, but the, there was a little handheld machine that never worked, wasn't it? Mm. And then at the end of the episode, he'd just appear in some new body. Yeah. yeah. Love that show. And that's coming back. Story. It's coming back. Is it? Yeah. It it kind of is a spiral story. Mm. I, I would imagine. Um. But yeah, anyone you want to. Quantum leap into? Oh, that's a huge question. Well, what you don't have to, to stay. There. What happens to them while you're there? You don't want to have to stay as them. You right. don't have to stay as that. They could. They, they're going to be in the waiting room back <laughs> in the quantum leap. <laughs> <laughs> that's good because I was like, you know, thinking of who's like really cool that I'd love to kind of have, you know, be in their life for a bit. But then I'd be worried about where they were. Yeah. Just like squish them to the back of their consciousness, and then they're, they're going help. I would quite like. I, I think. I would quite like to quantum leap into the younger version of myself, knowing what I know now. That and, can be a ray. And have a whale of a time. I thought you were going to say I'm going to just, just for one night. <laughs> like one night, one Saturday night in the 90s, I'd quantum leap back into myself. Do you think everyone would be like, oh, he's so wise. He's so wise tonight. Oh, good God, I wouldn't be wise. I'd be having a whale of a time. I'd be having much more fun than I was in the 90s. <laughs> what's got into him yeah. <laughs> yeah i'll be like you're dumped okay <laughs> I well, i'm trying to think like who i'd want to like be who would, i'd want to spiral story maybe like someone who's the most mysterious and i've no idea what their life is like do you know what i mean uh, but that also might be quite terrifying yeah they'd, they'd expect you to know passwords and stuff like that i don't know but that's that's the whole you know jeopardy of yeah quantum leap isn't it i guess um, I don't even know my own passwords. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the jeopardy of life in the 21st century. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Maybe, maybe just like, maybe like the now King Charles or something like that, so I could just really mess with shit. Ooh. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Be like, not someone who's got real, I mean, he's got a bit of real power, but mm. just to really, I just try and take down the monarchy by being Charles <laughs> for a day. <laughs> how long, is that how long I get a day? Well, you can have longer if you want, but I was just saying... I think in a week I could potentially take down the monarchy. Yeah, okay. Mm. Some say this has already happened. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'd like to be the Prime Minister for a few days or for a month so that I can... Oh, no, no. She did that already. Trusted that. You could be Donald Trump for... Yeah, you could just destroy him. Yeah, that well, could you? Well, you just destroy no, he's yourself. Just destroying himself, but it doesn't oh, seem yeah, to work. No, yeah. I don't know okay. if you could even do that with him. Yeah, 
But yeah, maybe the rules of time would apply. It would just split off into a separate universe. Who knows? Anyway, the Trumpiverse. Get, getting too <laughs> too deep. The Trumpiverse. I don't want to be in the Trumpiverse. No. Um, okay, should we move on? I think we've resolved. Yeah, I think issue. we've resolved <laughs> yeah. the spiral story. <laughs> it spiraled out of control there for a moment. Uh, okay, dear old queens and Caleb, would you? Date a trans man. In my case, I'm still pre-everything, mask-presenting trans guy. What do you think is the common opinion? Personally, I'm asexual, so I'm not searching for anybody, but I'm wondering if a gay man would be a, would ever be attracted to me. Mm. Of course they would. Yeah. But in, no question. I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm not dating anyone. I mean, I'm an old married, but... but like hypothetically yeah very cheesy answer but it would depend on that person and if they were attractive and delightful and whatever else i would have thought yeah totally i think if you're if you i think if you're an enlightened queer person in the 21st century i think you would accept someone for however they present and who Mm. they were i don't i don't think there would be but I, i would imagine there are some sections of the gay community that might not but you should perhaps steer clear of them, <laughs> mm. I think. Um, what do you think, Tommy? Yeah, I would totally date someone like that and would, yeah, would probably enjoy it because I think that they would be someone that would understand nuances of gender and sexuality in a way that would be quite interesting. And Yeah. Yeah, I think that we would get on well. I think it, I think it does bring into I think I think my opinion has definitely changed because I think that the me that came out in the nineties would probably not feel the same mm. way as I do now. But actually, now I think I would I could find someone who was uh, trans uh, trans and presenting as male attractive. Uh, no, I think yeah, I would agree with that. And to be totally honest, I think my thinking and view on all all of the kind of trans conversation and like knowing more trans people for which I'm really, really appreciative, just like being in a city and having the kind of wider networks that I do. And I'm really thankful that I know a lot more trans people and have those conversations. And previously I probably would have been a bit like, Oh, I don't know. Or yeah, but because I weren't, wasn't, I didn't know enough trans people. Yeah. I think when I was, I think when I was younger, that would have been a different answer, but I think now I definitely would. Yeah. I, I find people that use, butchness and femininity attractive yeah i guess we're kind of evolving in a way where where it is more about the person rather than what they present and actually that maybe calls into question the whole sexuality thing in Mm. to a certain degree well also i think as i've got older my ideas around what is sexy and like what roles you can play have been much more you know my eyes have been open much more so there would be there's a lot more in your tool bag to play with yeah yeah yeah, exactly yeah Yeah. it's a broader spectrum yeah and i kind of i think actually people who are genderful i like the term genderful Mm -hmm. and kind of more aware of how we do gender day to day and like trans people potentially much more aware of that too and like a trans mass person may well be more so and yeah and I think I think similarly I feel like my parameters of like all of this have changed and shifted as I've as I've gone like through my 30s and in a long-term partnership but like who you find attractive and how you perceive and 
kind of experienced gender, I think definitely changes. And mm-hmm. people who are kind of able to be more fluid and flexible with all of that are much more attractive to me, actually. Like even actually people kind of playing up butchness, like mm-hmm. cis men wise. Yeah, I think I think I only find like butchness attractive if it's worn really lightly and camply. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like I think it's kind of I kind of can find it attractive. Like if but... it's done if it's kind of done knowingly or if there's some yeah. element of performance around it. That kind of butch camp, I think, mm-hmm. is how I, you know I think of it. It's like but if if not then I'm a bit like Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> lack of awareness of that is really uh, unattractive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the whole interesting, genderful, lovely that in um you know in um I may destroy you there was a really good plot line kind of subplot line there about one of the characters meeting someone who then it turned out was transmasculine mm. and a trans man and um and that it was really nicely resolved and that they kind of kept seeing each other and it was all very lovely and I thought it was really good to see that uh, presented it was an amazing show anyway but yeah I think they did it in the recent Tales of the City mm. as well um yeah it's yeah it's interesting. Uh, it's a very interesting question, and uh, I'm hoping that people will be as enlightened as us around the table. I'm trying. Yeah, trying to be. <laughs> Let's move on. Okay, this one's quite a long letter, Tommy. Okay. Dear old Queens and Caleb, should I say something or just never mention it at all? Say something. <laughs> you don't know the story yet. So, a very good straight friend. Caleb's taking his top off. <laughs> <laughs> it's getting hot in here. It's the jumper. Yeah, it's all this, all this talk of sex, sexually charged um, queens of agony today. A very good straight friend recently gave me his old iPad when he got a new one. This is a guy I've been close friends with for over a decade. We've shared beds, we've travelled together, camped, danced and cuddled while on Molly. I'd be lying if I hadn't a few times lusted after him. He's straight, but not close-minded. He's just not attracted or turned on by men. We've shared just about everything with, with one another and trust one another enormously. Anyway, I turned the iPad on and he hadn't wiped it. There are dick pics. Quite a few. Clearly him. I'm guessing ones he sent to his girlfriend or past partners. After so many years of being curious, I did look at them. I was turned on and then felt guilty for looking. My question is, do I come clean and mention that I saw the pictures and give give it back for him to wipe it or just never say a word and pretend I didn't see them? If it were you, would you rather your best friend told you or would you be embarrassed and uncomfortable slash feel violated that they had seen them? Oh, God. Dilemma. I've got like, I've got like a little angel helpful. I just want to say I'm I'm not with my like therapeutic or any, you know, that's not <laughs> the hat I'm wearing right now. Okay. Um, and I've got like a little angel helpful one and then I've got a little devil like voice. <laughs> okay, well, we're, we're, we're happy for multiple opinions. I yeah. Think. So, so my little angel voice is, um, well, I don't know. There's some, there's something a bit in between as well. It's like, why is he giving you the iPad with the pictures on and not wiped it? And there's a little bit of me that thinks maybe there's a kind of a subconscious wish to find there wish to find the dick pics 
Possibly. Oh. Otherwise, why would you give a device that you hadn't wiped and that had stuff like that on it? Because he would have known those were there. Yeah, you'd wipe So I'm it. a bit like, mm, what's that about? Is it kind of, is it formative? Is it kind of a bit of, um, you know, it's kind of some attraction there, which there may be. But I would probably be inclined just to delete them. Mm. And then there's not really any point mentioning it. I mean... Different to delete them to them keep them for your own amusement. <laughs> and but then but then there's the, the little devil uh, voice that's just like you know or oh, keep some of them see if you have Fallout and use them as blackmail. No, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't expecting to say that. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> That'd be quite fun, wouldn't it? <laughs> wow. Well. Glass of wine now. Um, I mean, maybe not use them as black. <laughs> no, that is not my serious suggestion. But you could, you could keep them and t- t- peruse at your leisure. Um, what do you think, Tommy? I think delete them and say something. <gasps> A double whammy. I would just say it was so funny to see your dick because I've always wondered what it looked like. <laughs> that's a great approach. Actually, that yeah. that is yeah, that's um, a bit of radical honesty about it. Would yeah, actually be quite like. But also, yeah. that's quite a charming way to say it as well and making it not that embarrassing yeah it shouldn't be embarrassing really yeah. and that should be like a one-to-one exchange and not in a large group context yeah. as well <laughs> probably not with or a family pod- gathering or on a podcast <laughs> pro- pro- probably not with his girlfriend <laughs> maybe not no no but it sounds like this guy's quite open to stuff anyway so i'm i'm wondering if caleb you you're hitting the nail on the head with he's he's done this on purpose. I don't know, but there could be. Sometimes when people do things like that and say, oh, I didn't realise, they're like, or they maybe didn't consciously realise, but they might have subconsciously or he's it's maybe a bit of exhibitionism or kind of, yeah, because I think you know that stuff's on there. It doesn't actually say what, what the dick pics were like. No, well, he seemed to like them, I think. It seemed to be approved. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's definitely approved of them. I, yeah, I don't know what I'd do in that situation. <laughs> There's, yeah, I, I mean, quite like Tommy's uh, answer, but I don't know whether I would do... I might, yeah, I might say something. I think I would say something and say, did you know there were still pictures on your iPads? Maybe that's maybe that's a kind of combo approach. Is, do you aware that they are on there? And then it'd probably be like, oh, oh dear, or yes, I did. <laughs> oh yeah, and then yeah, then you'll know one way or the other. <laughs> yeah, but I think that is that's a very charming approach to it, and then um, move on from there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But always wipe your devices. Always before you wipe give them, your devices. You know I, mean? I I I did that in Carphone Warehouse once, where they they said, oh, we'll, we'll we'll take your device and give you some money back for it, and I was like, yeah, but I haven't wiped it, and I was like, oh, it's fine, and then I was like. I mean, you, know, you shouldn't look on a gay man's phone. Mm. <laughs> the, yeah, I, I always tell my, I my straight really. female friends, you don't, never mm. swipe. Mm. <laughs> you never know what you're going to find. Um, <laughs> but, you know. Um, I'm also like the kind of... Were they in a folder? Were they just in the general gallery? Well, they must have been in the general gallery. Just general gallery. Thought, yeah, I mean, that's how iPads work, isn't it? Just Can in the photo. Do, would there not have been a subfolder? Then what have you called that? I don't know. <laughs> Private. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm looking in there. Um, also, uh, my friend and I have a tradition now of sending each other unsolicited dick dick pics. Do you know what a dick dick is? No. They're an adorable little deer. 
that you get okay. across Africa. They're so cute. And they're like a little manga character. They've got like huge eyes, these tiny little deer. And so occasionally we just send a unsolicited dick dick pic because they're so cute. I would, I'm going to find those, especially find when I get D-I-K, asked. D-I-K, D-I-K. When I get asked on Grinder for a dick pic. Yeah. Send an unsolicited <laughs> dick dick instead. Adorable. Um, someone once said, can I, can I see a picture of your huge duck once? It was clearly... <laughs> mistyped on Grinder, and I found a picture of a huge rubber duck <laughs> and sent it to them and they told me to fuck off and I said get a sense of humour um, <laughs> do you think we've answered that one? Yeah. I think there's a range of options yeah. including yes. dastardly blackmail options you know? there's a full moral scale I'm, I wasn't expecting that from you Caleb but you, you've opened my eyes that, that kind of thing is always bubbling away in there I just you know felt like saying it at that point <laughs> Uh, there's light and shade to all of us of course okay so final question dear old queens and Caleb what is the queerest star sign I swear when I'm on tinder most gays are Pisces first Gemini second or Sagittarius lol but Pisces is the most prominent it seems like heck I'm Pisces that's how I'm going to notice I'll swipe on someone and I'm like Ah, he is Pisces like me, LOL. What do the old queens think the queerest star sign is? Well, uh, is anyone Pisces around this? No. I don't know what any of those stars, like what their characteristics are like. So so there's two, right. I feel like there's two methodologies (laughs) here, right? You could either be like, okay, so how many queer people were born within certain star signs and therefore that is the like queerest star sign yeah or based on their characteristics of like which is the which is the queerest star sign you know like i'm a cancerian so i'm a crab i don't think it's very queer crabs (laughs) um is crabs how well uh, i mean yeah but you're talking about the representation of uh i think think rather than the like traits (laughs) i mean i don't know each of them personally i know i know a couple of queer cancerians do you yeah Yeah. Yeah. i think of it as more as a sort of Sorry if I yawned. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We're keeping you up. <laughs> I think of it as more sort of home-loving kind of vibes. What, Cancerians? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think we do quite like that. And I wouldn't necessarily connect that with queerness. Oh, unless you were a homosexual. But I... <laughs> Very good. Uh, I, but I... Yeah, but I, I don't think you can have the queerest star sign. I think every, like queer people are all star signs. Like... Yeah. Uh, like, you, what's the straightest kind of star sign? I mean, Taurus. There isn't. Well, <laughs> well, I always fall in love with Taurians. I've I've dated more Taurians. And, like, every, everyone I'm attracted to on an app, if I ask them what their star sign is, it's like, oh, I'm Taurus. And I'm like, oh, fucking hell. And Not is again. that... Okay. Do you want to get off the Taurus wagon? Well, it well it hasn't worked out in the, the bullish, past. The bullish <laughs> Taurus. <laughs> but I'm Libra, also ruled by Venus, so which is the same as Taurus. So I you guess know about this why. stuff, don't you? I don't yeah, know I actually this. did a course. Yes, in okay. Astrology. I don't know much about it. At all. <laughs> so yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say there's any particular star sign which is is uh, queer. I think Geminis are pretty queer. So I which, think Aquarius is quite queer. Yeah. Um, well, you're a Leo, aren't you, mm. Tommy? They're quite queer, I think. As yeah. Well. I th- uh, and I'm a Libra, so... Yeah. They're, they're pretty 
pretty. I'm, I'm looking at a picture now of them all just to him. Um... Oh, it's Sagittarius, the archer. Mm. I, know, I think that could be quite queer. Yeah. And they're kind of half, usually half the, like a centaur archer. Oh, cool. <laughs> usually Great. as well. That sounds good. I mean, there's something pretty gay about astrology anyway, I think. Yeah. Mm. So, Especially Mystic Mag. Mystic Mag and Russell Grant. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think it's all. <laughs> I think in Chinese and Tibetan, I'm a water boar. I'm a woodcock. <laughs> Yay! I'm glad I asked that now. <laughs> Do you know what you are? No. Oh. To find that out. Yeah, I'm a a water pig. <laughs> a water pig and yeah. a woodcock. So walk into a bar. Yeah. I mean that, that also sounds quite, quite queer, doesn't it? So I just think astrology in general is queer. So let's let's just let's just leave it at that. Yeah. Okay. Great. <laughs> and on that bombshell, I think we've come to the end of the podcast. Caleb, tell us one more time where people can find out about you. Uh, my website's calebparkin.com and then Twitter, for how long, who knows, on Twitter, till it, you know, gets burned to the ground, um, uh, at Caleb Parkin, and then Instagram is at Caleb Parkin Poet. Great. That's wonderful. And um, please say goodbye to our lovely audience. In the form of a poem. Yeah. <sighs> In the- <laughs> so long, farewell, <laughs> I'll be saying goodbye. It rhymes, but I can't remember the next bit. It's a poem, right? Lyrics are... Uh, Lyrics of poems. It's adieu at the end. To ya and ya and ya. <laughs> I didn't even know. I failed as a gay. <laughs> yeah, you should know all the lyrics to The Sound of Music Sorry, songs. Done. Scurrying away in my little crab-like manner. <laughs> okay. Is that it? That's what you got that's for it. us? That's it. That's what I've got. Okay. I can't think of any good. I know that, I mean, a poem of goodbye is called A Valediction, but I can't think of any right now. Okay. Um, okay, this is why he's an ex-city poet. Tommy. That's right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Tommy, please say goodbye. In the form of a poem? In the form of a poem. Limerick. I knew someone that had to say goodbye, and they did it by eating a pie. And then it made me cry. Very strong end rhyming. Strong end rhyming. There you go. On that note, we will catch you next time on What That Old Queen. You have been listening to What That Old Queen. Written and presented by Tom Marshman and Bernie Hodges. The show was produced by Bernie Hodges for Hodge Podcasting in 2022. If you have a question for the old queens, or you'd like to be a guest, or you want to sponsor a show and give us lots of money, you can email hello at thatoldqueen.com or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 
How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.